John chapter 15, the second part. If you're a visitor among us, we've been going through John's gospel since uh, the gospel according to John, as I've uh, improved it to be, um, since last September. And we've come to this passage, uh, John 13 to 17, this amazing... The way I was thinking about it this week is, I don't know, you're well aware, Fitzroy people are well aware that um, sport plays a major part in my existence. I'm speaking at a, uh, the, a new festival before Summer Madness coming up and they asked me for a little biog and I was able to say I enjoy running music and supporting the Premier League champions. I don't even have to say their name anymore. Premier League champions will suffice. And as I watch rugby, as I watch soccer, those two sports particularly of a team nature, I don't know how many times that at the end of a game in this crazy world of the media, which we'll talk a little bit about tonight, how somebody in the emotion of all this has got a microphone shoved in front of them before they've even stopped breathing heavy after the game and asked questions. How many times somebody says, what did he say at halftime in the changing rooms? How did he turn that game around? What did the manager say at halftime? What happens... Uh, in the changing rooms before a game of soccer, rugby, hurling, Gaelic, hockey, whatever sport, team sport it might be, is really, really important. You see the importance of it more and more as teams that are maybe not as good in their playing staff seem to win things because their manager can get the best out of them. I say all that because as I look at these four chapters in John, it seems to me, and the World Cup's not long away, and Um, Everything will depend on that. I'm speaking at uh, Safara's um, going away uh, event, commissioning event, and I just joked with Christine this week that obviously I would be speaking at it depending what match was on that particular afternoon. Um, The World Cup will be coming up. It will be hyped to high heaven. It seems to me that we're in the changing rooms of the world final right here in John. Jesus has his team around him. And he's heading towards the last game. And he's telling them a lot of stuff in these last moments before the game is going to commence. Before Gethsemane. Before the betrayal. Before the denial. Before they're scattered. Before they come back together again. Before the resurrection. Before Pentecost. This is him saying... The game is about to start. You're going to be the players on the pitch. And here's a few things you're going to need to take as you go. There's a call. Not Ireland's call, but different calls. Follow me. Follow me. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Go into all the world and make disciples. Verse 16, just before those verses that Mo read this morning. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. There's a call on the team to go. There's a cost. Again, last week's reading just before this week's. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's the kind of play it in the forwards and just get it to tremble when you need a try. Or that's the keep the pace fast. Or that's the sit back and be a bus. That is the tactic that Jesus has given us. 
Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. The cost of it. Jesus never shirks from the cost of being involved in this team. Then the counselor, the paraclete. The Holy Spirit turns up in this team talk more times than you might think unless you're watching for it. And again in the reading today, there's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth in at the end as they're all going to be hated. If we want to think of other passages, Mark, the synoptics, Jesus says, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand of what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. We could read that same kind of um, call in Matthew chapter 10 or in Luke chapter 12. But there it is. In the midst of the call and the cost of being dragged in front of people and being arrested and flogged, the Holy Spirit's going to be there. There's the key to the team. Whoever your team is, whoever the key player is in this team, the Holy Spirit is the key player. Consoling us, comforting us, empowering us, leading us into truth, reminding us of truth as we play. And then finally, as we come to John 15 in today's sermon, we've got the call, we've got the cost, we've got the counselor, we've got the competing force. I just had to find another C. The competing force. When you're in those changing rooms and you're going out to play the game, you've got to look, you've got to watch. The good coaches will know the weaknesses of the other team. They will know the strengths of the other team. They will be telling their team what the other team's going to be about. Jesus is no different. The world will hate us. Let's put it in the context of John. If we remember back, way back to when we started this, we realized that John, there's an evangelistic thread to what John's trying to do here. And we looked at the possibility that John might actually be trying to speak to those that are a wee bit on the fence. Nicodemus, the Nicodemus kind of character. If you're reading John's gospel, you're the ones who are thinking, well, what will I do? Will I go for this? John doesn't kind of make it easy for people to make that commitment to Christ. Right here, he's telling people, if you want to get involved in this, this is what the competing force is going to be. If you get wrapped up in this Jesus thing, you be prepared to be brought before governors and be flogged and be arrested and lay down your life is not something you might offer to do in what you do in the next week. It might be something that Miriam Abraham has had to contemplate the very reality of doing for not recounting on her or recounting on her faith. We thank God as Neil has already prayed that it seems that she's going to be freed. But there are many people in our world today who are living in the same context as the people who would have got John's account of Jesus' life. And John's saying to them, are you surprised? Here's a people who are reading this in the midst of persecution. Are you surprised? Because they persecuted Jesus. And if they're going to persecute and hate Jesus, you can be pretty sure they're going to persecute and hate you. 
And remember my anti-right mantra that I've come back to again and again as we've done this series. The four things that the Gospels tell us. Jesus is fulfilling the vocation of Israel. Jesus is God's presence or Messiah on earth. Jesus is launching the new people of God, which we're seeing right in this dressing room scenario of John 13 to 17 right now. And finally, that the gospel, like the whole scripture, is the clash of kingdoms. Caesar versus God, Pharaoh versus God, Herod versus God, the religious versus God, the rich versus God, the world versus God. That's the context we're in here. It's the inevitable of being hated if you're on this team running out to what we're going to see in this game means ultimately crucifixion. Let's think about this idea of the world. Chapter 14 that we've been through in the last few weeks. Let's just hear the world word. You can't see it here. I've put it in bold and red and underlined. Let me see if I can do that in a way that you can hear. The world, chapter 14, verse 17, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, peace I will give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Verses 30 and 31, still in chapter 14. I will not say much more to you for the prince of the world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father commands me. Chapter 15 that we've read this morning. If the world hates you, keep it in mind that it hated me first. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. What's this idea of the world here? Because don't we go back to John chapter 3 and verse 16 that we all know so well and say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is this the same world? Does God love the world and do we stand against the world? Well, that's basically yes. Basically, I'll put it the best way I put it this week in all the commentaries and uh, I'm, I'm reading various commentaries in John and I'm also doing Jean Vanier's brilliant devotional commentary of John. And these words struck me as the best way to express this sort of seeming contradiction of the world, but not. Vanier puts it like this. Jesus called his disciples out of the world. They are not of the world, but they will be sent into the world to be a presence of God and of love where there is an absence of God. That's so succinct. Jesus called his disciples out of the world. They are not of the world, but they will be sent into the world to be a presence of God and of love where there is an absence of God. But I chose you, Jesus said, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit in the world. But I've chosen you out of the world that you might bear fruit in the world. You're not of the world. A few commentators this week have said that the world here in John 15 might mean human society organizing itself without God, or it might mean an absence of God. It's certainly that battle, that clash that Wright talks about between Caesar and God. This is a world without 
God that we go back in to be the presence of God in. And we will be hated. Strong words that Jesus tells his disciples in this team talk. We will be hated. But remember that hating will not be inevitable. Well, it will be inevitable, but it's not just because of who we are. Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe as many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in their homes, uh, sorry, in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Did that cause people to hate them just because they were a community of believers? Actually, in this situation, it goes on to say, and enjoying the favor of all the people. Enjoying the favor of all the people. You will be hated. But here we are in Acts 2, that we are enjoying the favor of all the people to think about that particularly this week in Northern Ireland. There will be places in Northern Ireland this morning where there will almost be a celebration of the persecution or the backlash that came on some comments that have been made. Some people might see it as they're being hated for speaking out in the name of Jesus. But is it? When the world hates us, as it inevitably will, we need to carefully critique why. Why has that reaction caused a hatred or bad PR for Jesus? Is it because we're standing up for what Jesus has told us to stand up for? Or is it because actually we're doing something contrary to what Jesus calls us to do? Anna Lou's been everywhere in the last week and so she should be in the light of what has been said uh, in in the press and elsewhere. But I took some angst at her phrase and I know other members of her party did uh, about leaving your Bible at the door of Stormont. I don't think that's possible for a Christian to leave your Bible at the door of anywhere. It's what informs everything we think. You can't do that. But let me use it as a very good critique that Anna has given us right here to work out what did she want us to leave at the door and why. I think there's some things that Anna wanted us to leave at the door that have been abuses of how the Bible has been used in Stormont. But I think there are some things that she wants us to leave at the door because we are standing for some truth. It's the working out of those things that we need the Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, to help us to critique. Because all of this is about the fact that through what we do, the world may learn who Jesus is is. Later we will gather around this table that if we want to look at it in the context of today's reading, 
is a table of hatred. This is what the hating of Jesus finally led to. They hated him so much for what he was doing that they nailed him on a cross. But Jesus didn't set out to just antagonize for the sake of antagonizing. The hatred that Jesus caused was because he was living such an alternative lifestyle that he provoked rage and anger from those who the very foundation of their worlds he was shaking. Right from the moment he was born, he was on this cross. They were killing all the children under two because Herod knew that something of what this Jesus was doing was something that he didn't like. Because Jesus loved people and broke down the barriers of his society, he exposed the patterns and defaults of a society that were not prepared to change and it caused hatred of Jesus. Because he stood for the leper, the prostitute, the tax collector, and even the Roman soldier, nowhere in Israel have I found more faith, he said. Because he engaged across race and religion and gender, John chapter 4 that we've already looked at, Jesus exposed the fear of the other and the sectarianism and prejudice that results from that fear of the other. That got him hated. Because he raged against the injustices of religion and money and power, he exposed the oppression of the world. And the oppressor didn't like it and hated him. Because he exposed the emptiness of the attainments of things and the achievements of our abilities, he caused hatred among those whose life's identity is only about things and achievements. Because he lived a more authentic spiritual substance of soul than the cold, ritual, religious rules around him, and because that exposed hypocrisy and self-righteousness from the religious, they hated him. Because he lived for eternal values and exposed the limits of earthly vanity, They hated him. We may be spoken badly about, we may be persecuted, but when we follow Jesus and are known as followers of Jesus, people will know that Jesus through the things we do that he did. And can sometimes, we can damage the reputation of Jesus if we get some of those things wrong. We'll talk tonight about the specifics of these things. One of the things we'll say tonight is that in the world of social media and the internet and sermons being put up on websites, we've got to be more careful and sensitive about some of the things we say. Come tonight. Hopefully there's no YouTube or recordings, but we'll still be sensitive. I want to finish by suggesting a story that might help us in the week that's been. Jim Wallace was here last August and he spoke when he was here about the whole Muslim thing in America and I was thinking, well, that's not very relevant to us, Jim. Oh, how things change. But he told this story that was powerful enough to me at the time 
but has become more powerful over this next week, or this last week. What we've got to do, and we'll talk about this again tonight, we've got to get over what's happened. We don't need to give Nolan another good show this week. We need to get over it. But we need to learn from it. What does this mean for my relationship with a Muslim community or any other minority community? What does it mean for Fitzroy's relationship with minority communities? How do we move on from here in a Christ-like way to do the things that Jesus did in his day? So here's one example of what might happen. On the ninth anniversary of 9-11, they were opening an Islamic center at Ground Zero, which needless to say in the world that we live in was controversial. Terry Jones, a maverick preacher of not very many, I think maybe in Florida, was burning Korans and stirring it up. It wasn't good in the relationships between Christianity and Islam. Steve Stone, minister in Memphis, surprised his Muslim community. His church, Heartsong Church, had heard that the Memphis Islamic Center were going to move in across the road. What were they going to do? Would they take the Terry Jones approach and burn a few Korans and protest? They decided not. And as you and many Americans amongst us today have these lovely kind of things in the front, you know, you change these wee signs every week, Facebook gets a lot of mileage out of them. They put up, Heartsong Church welcomes Memphis Islamic Center to the neighborhood. Caused a bit of a stir. In fact, the press took hold of it. And the Muslims came across and said, we were hoping to juke in here quietly, but you've caused a bit of a stir. What was that about? And they said, well, Jesus told us to love our neighbor. And you're now our neighbors. So we wanted to just tell you, in the name of Jesus, that as our neighbors, we love you. It's an interesting story. But CNN were on the new Islamic center at Ground Zero and Terry Jones. And somehow, when CNN went to take this to a worldwide story one Sunday morning, somebody tipped them off about Steve Stone. So as part of their story, they had Steve Stone from Heartsong Church and the imam from the Memphis Islamic Center on camera talking about their relationship and friendship as neighbors. It went out across the world. An alternative to the dividing, stirring up the tensions of burning the Quran stories that were also there. Jim Wallace tells us that he phoned Steve Stone that night to thank him for the alternative story that eased some tensions. And Steve Stone told him this. He said, you're not going to believe this, Jim. But this afternoon, I get a phone call from Pakistan. And a mosque in Pakistan phoned me to tell me they'd seen the CNN report. And as they were watching the report, one of them said, we can't hate these Christians. They're loving our fellow Muslims in Memphis. And one of them got up and left and came back later having said that he went down to the local Christian fellowship nearby and washed the floor of the little Christian fellowship nearby as a response to what Steve Stone had done in Memphis. 
Mr. Stone, can you tell your community that we will now look after this little Christian community down the road from us because of how you have loved your neighbor in Memphis? Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. How do we do it? What ways do we do it? And in what ways do we do it that the Jesus of these chapters and the rest of the Gospels is revealed on our televisions, on our radios, in our places of government, and on our streets. This is where we need the Holy Spirit to critique the things we're doing that we should be hated for and will inevitably be hated for because we're crumbling the foundations of an oppressive, prejudiced, sectarian society and the things that we'll just be hated for because anybody doing them should maybe get that kind of backlash. Let us pray. Lord, these are frightening words that we will be hated because of you, but you were hated. And we come to remember in a moment or two how you were so hated that it cost you your life to live this alternative God-given way for humans to live. Lord, send this spirit of truth into the depths of our souls, our hearts, and our minds, that we might hear the voice of God in the way that we should live in now not only a divided society of Catholic and Protestant, but now a divided society of ethnic minorities. How do we bring Jesus into this society that you've called us to bear fruit in? Help us to find the ways that we love neighbor, the ways that we love enemy, the ways that we lay down our lives for this bigger picture of God's rule and kingdom. We pray that in the aftermath of these last days, that we will move forward even after their headline news and ask ourselves, how can we bear fruit in Belfast in 2014? And whatever the consequences, whatever the backlash, whatever others might say, give us your spirit's courage to live this radical way that Jesus lived so that the world may learn who he is and as in Acts chapter 2, find him as Savior and Lord of the universe. It's in his name we pray. Amen.